Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellefson with the Digital Education Podcast, where I get to have conversations with educational innovators, um, teachers, colleagues, friends who are doing cool stuff in our profession. And today I'm with a friend who's been on the podcast before, Stephen Carter, who is a great example of an innovator in education, but a committed teacher in education as well, who help, who wants to help us rethink, um, I'll say, I'll just say up front, student engagement in our classrooms and in our schools. And he wrote a book from his lessons called Teaching the Entrepreneurial Mind Mindset, Innovative Education for K-12 Schools. And I want to read a portion before I jump in with Stephen. But Stephen says in the introduction, lest you immediately dismiss me and write me off as a contrarian who wants to undermine the, the very nature of traditional education and core classes, please understand my intention, student engagement. So Stephen, in your book, you, you kind of fold out not only your story, but the story of the entrepreneurship program at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy you you unfold a story, but then you kind of get to lessons um, of what you've discovered about the entrepreneurial mind shift. And my favorite part about this book is that it's not about creating an entrepreneurship program, but it's about trying to increase and improve student engagement to do meaningful learning and meaningful work together, teachers and students, so that then, you know, it's the life-giving work. So it, I, I start with that introduction, and it's more of a generalization. But question being, you know what, how, how long did this take for you to kind of make this discovery? And then, and then how does this kind of discovery of the entrepreneurial mindset, mindset really kind of bring greater meaning and joy to the work that you do as a teacher? Well, first of all, Eric, thank you, because I, I, I love the question. Uh, always happy to talk with you about these important topics. And you, of course, found that particular quote. Anyone who starts out by saying they're not a contrarian is, of course, a contrarian. So we can, you know, we can we can throw that information out there as well. And there are lots of things about traditional education that really get under my skin. And it's whenever we move away from what matters to the students. How are we going to prepare the students? Now, you know, I've, I've been teaching 18 years, Eric, and I know you've been in education a long time as well. The the There's been a shift. There's been a, a very dramatic shift, not just in how we teach, but in how our students learn. And there's also been a shift in the culture that surrounds the world these students are going into. So, you know, you take any, any kind of classic example of marketing. And, and you're supposed to tell a story. And that story is supposed to have the problem and then the hero. And so for me, the problem has been lack of student engagement. And when you look at the numbers, it's pretty, it's pretty startling, right? I mean, I'll just use some Gallup poll numbers here. But when you ask elementary kids about engagement, you're going to get like 76%. By the time they get to eighth grade, you're down to 50%. And when they get to 10th grade, that number is close to 33%. So only one out of three kids is engaged. Well, that's, that's a problem. And I look at it even as a bigger problem in today's society. There's an acronym floating around now called VUCA, V-U-C-A. 
And the world our students are entering into is a world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So if you're like a 16-year-old kid, and I'm trying to convince you that you need to learn this you know, archaic truth because it's part of the traditional educational model. And in your mind, you're thinking, I don't really think I need to learn this. And I don't even know if jobs are going to exist when I'm 20. And I don't even know what the world's going to look like. We now have a disengagement. So the reason that I start the book that way is I, I believe, I believe with passion that entrepreneurship education, when it's done from the mindset perspective, engages students, helps them find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment, and connect that to a calling. And I have seen this happen in real time. And I got to tell you, Eric, I am on fire with excitement about seeing this movement trickle to schools all over the United States. Let's go. Well, I, I love it too, because it's not that just the trickling effect, you know, to, to, you know, schools to create entrepreneurship programs. It's, it's, it's the effect of saying, Hey, let's get this kind of thinking into every classroom. And I want to come back to that idea with you because as a former English teacher, and then for me as a history teacher, I think there is that place to really reflect on, on some of those things. But I want to hit on one thing that you said um, before we go forward, because it, it really interesting, like the contrarian in me and that history teacher in me says, you know what, like, it, it, and, and, and the 26 year old educator in me remembers 25 years ago hearing the VUCA like statement. Right. You know, so it's like that was my introduction in 1999 to that to that idea. And and it, and it was that idea of like, OK, so the world's constantly changing. So what do we hold fast to? And 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 what do we hold kind of like as core principles? And that's the one thing I think this book, if people miss it, if they take the contrarian view and the old crotchety teacher like I was, if they take the view that like the old principles are these truths or these realities or this history or whatever it might be, or this book or this text, you're saying, hey, you know what? The reality is it's actually a way of thinking and a way of being. So, so tell me a little bit more about what you imagine as, and, and you, you, you kind of state four principles of the entrepreneurial mindset. Mindset. Tell, tell me a little bit more about what you mean about those four kind of characteristics that if, if we can get these characteristics, that's what we're holding strong to, because that's going to help students in whatever setting, whatever culture and whatever happens in the future. It's 100% right, Eric. It's a toolkit. And, and it's not it's not just saying, hey, here's a chance to be an entrepreneur. It's saying, look at entrepreneurs, look at entrepreneurs in 2020. The successful entrepreneurs learned to pivot. They learned to adapt. They were thinking on their feet. They were being creative. In other words, they were thriving in the midst of that uncertainty. Now, if you just do a Google search for entrepreneurial mindset, you're going to find like 87 attributes. So if I go to students and I'm like, hey, you're going to learn these 87 attributes to think like an entrepreneur. Well, I mean, that's not going to yield anything. So over the last 10 years, which, which that alone is pretty, pretty startling to say, we, we launched this in 2014. And over the last 10 years, we sort of accidentally discovered that there were four primary attributes that we were teaching. 
The first of those is growth mindset. And when you mentioned earlier, you used the word principles or truths. I believe the entrepreneurial mindset is grounded in principles. And, and I, I love the definition. Uh, my friend Alex Judd uses it of principles, which are principles are concisely worded statements of truth that transcend circumstance. And when you apply these principles to your, your life, you will live a life with more meaning and fulfillment. And I believe that, that lack of engagement comes from lack of connecting what we're doing with our why. We're helping students in the first attribute, which is growth mindset. We're helping them connect their mission, their vision, and their values, their actual core values to what they're doing. We move from that into the development of grit. Now, you talk to any business owner out there, they're going to say, boy, I'd love to hire gritty people. But how do you find gritty people? Well, Angela Duckworth has a great formula in her book, Grit, where she says, grit is developed from passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. Now, we could unpack that for hours, Eric, but I believe that if we help our students set goals and apply passion and perseverance, they become grittier. And if you have a growth mindset and you're gritty, and the third one is redefining failure, if you see true failure as not trying in the first place, then you're ready for attribute four, which is opportunity seeking. So we're looking at saying to our students, look, we're going to give you the tools of growth mindset, grit, the ability to redefine failure, the ability to seek opportunity. And you can go be a, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. You can manage a, a Chick-fil-A. You can, you can do anything you want, but you're going to achieve more success with those mindset tools. And I appreciate I appreciate your way of thinking about those things and, and the opportunities because ultimately as teachers in the classroom, it is a great way of in many ways simplifying, but but not making it simplistic, right? We're developing character through this process. We're developing wisdom through this process. We're discovering so much about ourselves and we're discovering so much about the world through the process. One of the things that I found really interesting in your final charge is you talk about those four things and then you you do a final charge. Part of part of this, and, and I'm going to read a quote, but then go into the final charge because I want you to talk about this a little bit because I think entrepreneurship or this entrepreneurial mindset, it, it can be seen as overly individualistic. And, and I think you make a couple things. And so there was a quote that you had that said, education in the future needs to be about finding purpose and calling within a society that works diligently to strip away our wholeness. And in your final charge, you know, of the book, you know, where you, where you kind of bring it all together, it's almost like you say, hey, you know what, these four things, these four characteristics of the entrepreneurial mind, mindset is is these are the characteristics, but they have to be done within community. Yes. And so so give us some more about this wholeness that you see in our society that tries to strip strip it away and why it's so important to to do this not as an individual, but in community. Eric, it's such a great question because typically when you say entrepreneurship, we have these preconceived notions and in two of the dangerous notions, one is an individualistic drive driven and fueled only by profit, right? That's like, you know, you, you watch someone on Shark Tank or you watch some of these high profile entrepreneurs on TikTok. 
we have to undo that. And we also have to undo this conception of hustle culture. Go, 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 which means you you don't have time for your family, for your friends, for your physical fitness, for your spiritual well-being. You lose some of these pieces if you fall for these two traps of traditional entrepreneurship. And uh, I had the opportunity this past summer to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak. And he, and he said something that I, I've since thought about often. He said, collaboration is the skill of the 21st century. He didn't say a skill. Now, if you read any article on, on what do students need to thrive in 21st century day and age, it typically comes down to emotional intelligence, communication, and collaboration. And what we're discovering in this program is the byproduct effect of collaboration in working on teams. The, the kind of entrepreneurship programming that I'm advocating is not just isolating students to have them go run a business. It's bringing them together in a group to ideate, to create, to launch, and to grow. And what happens along the way is they discover how to work with other people. They discover empathy, right? Brene Brown talks about empathy being feeling with someone instead of for someone. To be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have empathy for your customer. And as a group coming together to explore those kind of ideas, you are collaborating in real time and preparing yourself to live in a community of people who understand the value of coming together and ultimately having a shared vision. And to me, that's what this mindset is all about. And I love it. So, so let's, let's go back and let's, let's try this real quick. So put yourself back in the English classroom where you start, you know, the, the story of this book where kids are asking like, why do I need to learn this? And and you talk about later in the book, like, you know, three years into your, your, you know, your switch to building the entrepreneurship program at CHCA, you know, you just realize kids weren't asking that anymore. So if we take you back to the English classroom or take me back to the history classroom, or we go back into these, you know, more traditional places where kids are asking the question, like, why in the world do I need to read this or study this? Or when am I ever going to use this? That was always my favorite question in history. <laughs> like, when am I ever going to use right. this? And it's like, you know what? Like, I don't know. I don't really know when you're going to need to know about the Peloponnesian War, but there are some things that we can take out of it that will help grow wisdom and all that. But like, what would you do different or how would you think about it different if you were back in the English classroom? Well, I, I absolutely love playing this game, Eric, because I get asked all the time, do you miss English? Do you miss English? And and the you know the, the honest answer is I don't miss it, actually. I don't miss English that part of it because this style of education is so exciting but you know they say that wisdom doesn't come from experience it comes from evaluated experience so recently i had the chance to talk to a young lady who's now at grand canyon university and i, I asked her what was the benefit of the entrepreneurship program and she gave me all kinds of answers and i said like no Mar marseille like cut down to it what what really did it do and she looked at me and she said it was real it was something real. And so much of school wasn't real. So when I think about your question, Eric, I go back to that. What if as an English teacher, I was a little less focused on getting kids to absolutely 
you know, love Julius Caesar or understand the core principles of humanity and Oedipus Rex and, you know, this whole idea of the tragic hero and, and working through these modules. What if my focus was a little bit more on the real? I'm not saying throw out the books by no means. I love books, right? Um, I write books, I read books, but I'm saying, what if there was a real connection? And I believe there's, the, I believe the entrepreneurial mindset can be integrated into every class at every grade level. And I will have that argument all day long. And I love, by the way, talking to elementary teachers about this, because that is a prime age to start thinking entrepreneurially in the classroom. But I'm going to give you two questions, English teacher, any teacher, if I was to go back in that role, I'd ask these two questions before I ever planned a lesson. Number one, I would say, what if? And number two, I'd say, why not? And I believe those questions can prompt the innovative wheels in the classroom to create an environment where the mindset becomes less learn and memorize and do and more empower and engage. It, it is so interesting about like, as, as I think back on, you know, some of that is um, choice and choice and experience, um, you know, empower and engage, you know, so much in that is, you, you know, you, you've been in the classroom where you're teaching something or you're reading a text and you've got kids that just love it. And then you got kids that don't. And then you move on to the next text and it switches in the classroom of who just are enjoying it, embracing it. And so like, I think one of the things that's really interesting about your work and about this, and, and some of it is we don't in education or we don't in the classroom or we don't as teachers, I think one of your principles, we don't talk very much about seeking opportunities in, in our classrooms and in our learning, like we create the opportunity and we set the opportunity. So, so one of the things I wonder about for you is how do we get out of the way and maybe set more guardrails or more directionality rather than just limiting the box of opportunity? It's, it's such an important thing for us to do. And here's, here's the way I want to answer that. I believe that as educators, we have to demonstrate this mindset to our students. I can stand up all day long and say, you need to set goals. You need to have grit. If I'm not doing that in real time, demonstrating it to the students, there's a disconnect. There's the, the, then there's going to be the lack of engagement. So I start with the administrators. I, I tell you what, I love sitting down with heads of school and saying, you know, they, they'll say, we want entrepreneurship. We want this mindset. I'm like, great. You know, tell me, tell me about how you run your school. Tell me about the red tape that teachers have to go through to try new things in the classroom. Oh, well, we don't want our you know teachers to do. Oh, okay. So, so there's a top-down approach here. Okay. So I want a quick message to administrators listening. Your teachers, there's three things I, I always argue. They need the freedom, the resources, and the autonomy, but not too much of any of them to be able to seek the opportunities. And when students see us as educators seeking opportunities, they become opportunity seekers by default. And, and I'll give you a fun, uh, a fun exercise that I love doing with elementary kids. I used to call these problem boxes. And then I had a teacher say, let's call them opportunity boxes. And, and so you just take like a shoe box and, and you have the kids walk around and, and you encourage them. Hey, whenever you see a problem, write it down and stick it in the box. So, you know, you're getting ready for school and your mom says, get in the car. We're running late. Oh, hang on, mom. That's a problem. 
late for school, right? Put it in the box, slept in, put it in the box, um, you know, messy locker, put it in the box. And what you're doing is you're helping students understand problems are not something to be scared of. Problems are not something to run from. They're something to get excited about. And when we make that shift, oh, that's a problem. All of a sudden, it changes our entire outlook on life. And we now see problems as opportunities. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And it's so true. And it's and it would be interesting. And I think as I got older in, in my teaching, and then also more confident, right? I was given a high level of freedom and autonomy. Uh, resources, it just depended. And so in that freedom and autonomy, and as I got more seasoned as a teacher, I was able to see the opportunities better. And then I was more confident in my abilities um, to, to, to kind of like open the doors and open the opportunities for students. And so I think that's like always the fear for teachers. How am I going to control? How am I going to keep it? And it is, it is leaving control. It is leaving some of those things, but it is also having a plan. It's also understanding where you're going. And it's also understanding that this is a process. And, and in this process, we get there. One of the things that I think could be transformative for the classroom teacher from your list of, of values in particular, I think most teachers would, would, would argue that, you know, growth mindset's great. Like, yes, we believe in that. I don't think we always practice it. I think, you know, it's like, you know, we're success mindset driven or, you know, other things would be interesting What the alternative. I think most teachers, you know, would be like, yeah, grit. Um, I was the teacher early in my career. I was so demanding. I probably believed in grit so much. I made people miserable at the same time. Um, and then it was like, oh no, there's, there's a, there's a gritty optimism or a joyful grit that goes with this, that yes. as we grow and as we get better, that can be done in joy and in fun. Um, but I'm really interested in the redefining of failure mm. because I think if classroom teachers, if the English teacher, the history teacher, the math teacher in particular would allow students to practice and fail, would allow students to evaluate their learning, would allow students to take the pressures off of performance on their practice, it would trans transform what happens in the classroom. How do you practice or how have you gotten to the place where it's like you help people redefine failure for themselves? You help yourself as a teacher redefine like what failure means and that you allow for the messy practice that is necessary for growth. Well, it's it's probably the most difficult of the attributes. And so, of course, you would you would pick on that one. And it's it's honestly, it's the attribute I have the most let's call them energetic discussions about. And part of that is because it's the one that that tugs emotionally so much on us. You know, the word failure has, has so many connotations. And as a result, it is loaded with this emotional significance. Now you talk to like any parent, they're going to tell you, they're going to say like, oh yeah, I want my kids to like experience failure. I want them to experience it, but they don't actually want their kids to experience it. And the same with kids. Like, yeah, we, we know there's value in it, but no one wants to go through that experience. 
And so one of the things that, that I argue, and it almost becomes a logical syllogism on, on some level. So we get a little into a little semantics here where what we're really saying is the emotional component of failure is going to remain the same. Okay. Because traditionally failure is defined as not succeeding and therefore not succeeding is bad. And therefore failure is bad. So we can get up here all day and say, failure is good. Failure is good. But it's going to be a party of one jumping up and down saying that what I'm arguing is let's just change the definition. So, you know, let's say, let's say failure is not trying in the first place. Failure can still be bad, right? We can still, we can still be like, ah, oh, I'm kind of scared to fail. But what if what we were really scared of was not trying? And the quote that I absolutely love that illustrates this is regret for the things that we have done will fade over time. But regret for the things that we never did, that we never tried, will last the rest of our lives. And if we help our students redefine failure, we can help them escape that regret. And, and the last example I'll give you, and I'm sure, Eric, you've come across this in your work, and many of our listeners have, but that famous clay pot example where an art teacher uh, gave an assessment. And again, he asked, what if? And then he asked, why not? And it was a ceramics class. And he divided his class in half. And to the first half, he said, you are going to make as many clay pots as possible in this class. And if you make 50 of them, you get an A. Then he went to the other side and said, you only have to make one pot to get an A, but it has to be perfect. And that was it. Semester went on, you get to the end of the class, and the kids who turned in the perfect pots, the more beautiful pots, were from the quantity group because after making pot after pot and and they could be they could have been as ugly as they wanted but they got better and better and better because they failed and they learned and they learned and they learned and then they succeeded and the other kids who had to make one perfect pot man it was it was a paralysis of analysis right and they could never get started and quite do it so i look at it as we just have to try and we just have to get out there and do it over and over and over, understanding that success is a loop and failure exists on that loop multiple times before we get to success. So let me ask one last question, because I think in this you've talked about, you know, evaluative, you know, wisdom, right? Is like, and then you create these loops and you talk about feedback in the book and, and Oftentimes feedback in the traditional classroom, and I remember it as a history teacher, it was usually a one-way conversation. And we know that oftentimes when we give grade, that's when they say in the research learning ends. You know, but it is that that feedback loop. How do you or what would you encourage that in that practice and in that improvement and in that growth? And it's really interesting in that quantity group that's making it. What's the role of the teacher to help create a feedback loop so that the student work gets better, that they understand failure better, but then they understand like what's working better? How do you use feedback and what would be in your encouragement that this actually is the joy of the relationship between the student and the teacher? I love how you asked the question because you you specifically cut to the role of the teacher. And one of the things I've been fascinated by lately is the parallel between the role of the teacher and the role of the parent and how as a child ages, you move from disciplinarian to coach. And I love thinking of the teacher as the coach because you see the coach asks curious questions. 
The coach tries to get to the heart of the why. And what I would say in response to that is if as teachers, we are treating our class as some as a group we're coaching, we're going to help them understand the vision. We're going to cast to the vision and we're going to connect that to a why. So we're not just doing an isolated assignment. We're not just writing a paper. We're not just writing a response. We are on a journey. And if we help our students understand the destination, we can then create a very real dashboard of feedback to show them their progress on that destination. You know, we can get into a whole conversation about grades and metrics and all that stuff. But imagine if students know this isn't about an isolated grade. This is about progress toward a destination. And I can measure my progress. And along the way, I can adjust. You know, that famous example that if a plane takes off from California and it's headed to New York, it has to constantly adjust or it's going to end up in Canada, right? It's the same in a classroom. We have to constantly adjust with our feedback so that we end up casting the vision and seeing students move toward that vision. Stephen, this is great. There's so much good professional gold here. And so I would encourage friends, I would encourage our colleagues, grab the book, read it. But Stephen, um, where can they get connected with you? How can they learn more about you? And then what's coming next for you? Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. So number one, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So please follow me, connect with me on LinkedIn, and then sign up for my newsletter and subscribe to my podcast. And here's why I say that. Every Monday, I generate content that is going to be specific toward educators applying these principles in the classroom and ultimately living out the entrepreneurial mindset. So you can find me on Apple Podcasts, The Entrepreneurial Mindset. Subscribe to my newsletter. You'll find it on LinkedIn. And I'll just say that this is about spreading awareness. So I'm now working with schools around the U.S. I'm working with educators. We're hosting events because I believe this is about engaging students. And when they get engaged, boy, it is so invigorating as an educator and so meaningful. So let's go. I love it, buddy. Let's go. Thank you.